Revival. Now, Webster's Dictionary will tell you it means restoration to life, consciousness, vigor, strength. Awakening, the act of waking from sleep, or a recognition, realization, or coming into awareness of something. Revival. Awakening. Northampton, Massachusetts, 1730s. Jonathan Edwards begins to preach, followed by George Whitfield. Whitfield spoke to thousands in the open air about the concept of spiritual rebirth, while Edwards warned of sinners in the hands of an angry God. Revival swept the colonies. Countless lives began to change. Churches began to change. And history remembers this as the first great awakening. September 23rd, 1857, at lunchtime in New York City, a layman named Jeremy Lanfear kneels to pray. America was in spiritual, political, and economic decline. There was financial panic and rumors of a civil war, and so Lanfear invited thousands to a rented hall on Fulton Street to pray. Six people showed up. Just six people. But those six people began to pray. Three weeks later, 40 people were praying. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathered daily for prayer. Over the next two years, over one million Americans out of a total population of 30 million put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This became known as the Great Prayer Revival. In the early 1970s, the cover of Life magazine featured over 80,000 young people gathering for Jesus at an event in Dallas called Explo 72. A year before, the cover of Time magazine read The Jesus Revolution. Because something undeniable was happening. Something unexplainable was happening. Something was sweeping young people all over America. It became known as the Jesus Movement and accounted for more baptisms in a single year than any other year in the history of the Southern Baptists. 400,000 people were baptized in one year. The First Great Awakening, the Great Prayer Revival, the Jesus Movement. What's the link? What is the common denominator? What is the first step? How do things like this happen? It's prayer. The first step is always prayer. History is clear. The record is undeniable. The blueprint is right in front of us. Every great move of God begins when His people pray. Not ordinary prayer. Extraordinary prayer. Unified prayer. Desperate prayer. And so it's time. It's time to pray. It's time to pray in repentance. It's time to pray for reconciliation. It's time to pray for personal renewal in our own lives. It's time to beg God for spiritual awakening in our time and in our generation right now. God can do more in a moment than we can ever do in a lifetime when His people pray. It's time to pray. There's enough power here to go out and change the world. And we pray that this will be the beginning of a spiritual awakening that will sweep the world. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord. I'm going to apologize in advance if I get emotional during this message. George Whitfield said, It's a poor sermon that gives no offense that neither makes the hearer displeased with himself nor the pe preacher. Revivalists of the past preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Without holiness, no one would see God.
It was preached on July 8, 1741 in Enfield, Connecticut by Jonathan Edwards. He was from Northampton. He was going to visit a church just down the road in Enfield. He preached the same message at his church. He preached at Enfield and revival broke out. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. A sermon like that today would shock our conscience. Hurt our feelings. God angry? No, he's love. That's what we'd say today. It's popular today to say this. God is in a good mood. Let's focus on the comfortable things of God and that will make everyone feel better. See, they understood something about holiness that it was imparted but also demonstrated in a lifestyle. Today we call it works. God, that we say those revivalists of the past, they didn't understand what they were talking about. See, Whitfield, while he was in college, he fell in with a group of pious Methodists who called themselves the Holy Club, led by two brothers, Wesley brothers, John and Charles. These men understood something that we don't. They wore holiness as a badge of honor, something to strive for. Not today we've made it a yoke of slavery. We're more sophisticated, more educated, more discerning. But I want you to hear of eyewitness accounts of this revival. From Stephen Williams, he wrote this in his diary. Nothing in his style, his monotone voice, or presentation could account for what happened that day in Enfield. We went over to Enfield where we met a dear Mr. Edwards of Northampton who preached the most awakening sermon from these words, Deuteronomy 32-35. And before the sermon was done, there was a great moaning and crying that went out through all the whole house. What shall we do to be saved? Oh, I'm going to hell. What shall I do for Christ? And so forth. In 1735, a revival swept through Northampton. Edwards wrote this about it. He said, the work of conversion was carried on in a most astonishing manner and increased more and more. Souls did, as it were, by flocks were coming to Jesus Christ. Overnight, the town was transformed. The citizens sang songs in the streets. The taverns closed. The young people pursued God in bands. And it almost, it was impossible to get a seat into church unless you arrived hours early. Hymns were written after this. Lives transformed. Cities transformed. See, we need preachers today who will come out of their prayer rooms on fire with a message from heaven. Preach the room empty with a striking and convicting word for the hour. Preach it in such a way that people will either hate you or fall in love with Jesus. Similar to in Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah chapter 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continue to those who despise the word of the Lord. It shall be well with you. To everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster will come upon you. Revival, awakening, renewal, restoration, Today, many seek a personal, supernatural experience. The charismatic church has devised ways to make it happen. They followed trends and signs and watched the worlds looking for the wonders to see almost as if it's like a magical potion. 
But what if it came through the word of God, through the preaching and the powerful conviction, as with Billy Graham? No miracles. George Whitfield was simply just a power-filled preaching that changed the atmosphere. Are you starting to get uncomfortable? See, we don't need more altar calls. What we need is altered lives. When asked about how many were saved at the meeting, George Whitfield refused to speculate on how many listeners had been converted. There are so many stony ground hearers which received the word with joy. Whitfield said that I have determined to suspend my judgment till I know the tree by its fruits. Revivals are the sole work of the Holy Spirit. The test of time will either confirm or disprove these conversions. These are moves of God. Only God can predict them. Only God can make them happen. I can't make them happen. They are a sovereign move of God. His time, His place. See, Edward preached to his congregation the same message, sinners in, a hangry, in the hands of an angry God. Then he went just down the road to another city and revival broke out. Power of God filled that house and changed the atmosphere to people were crying out. People were moaning saying, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to know this Jesus? Sometimes we were even in the midst of revival. We don't even know it. George Whitfield's stats, I want to just read this. It says, largely forgotten today, he was probably the most famous religious figure of the 18th century. Newspapers called him the marvel of his age. Whitfield was a preacher capable of commanding thousands on two continents through the sheer power of his oratory. In his lifetime, he preached at least 18,000 times without a microphone or a stadium to perhaps 10 million hearers. A move of God in the 18th century, yet people would come and throw rotten fruit at him. See, our position and our posture for for revival is humility, holiness, and hunger. It's demonstrated in our prayer. I will tell you this right now. You will have difficulty men watching a questionable movie or a questionable TV show, posting a bad Facebook comment, jumping into sin if you have been in the prayer closet or you're about to go in. See, I like to save it to the end of the night because what I like to do is spend that last hour of the night with the Lord and that way, anything I do before I get to that place, I have to think hard and long about what I'm doing and what I allow to come into my life. Prayer produces both an imparted and, and a dedicated lifestyle of holiness. People don't want to hear this today. I know that. They don't want to hear about holiness. I have, I've, it's almost in, in the spirit realm I see, not from here, but because of what the world wants, it's like rotten tomatoes are being thrown. This word, Greg, this old-fashioned word that you're bringing about living a, a holy life, living godly, doing the right thing, is just, oh, you know what, that's just old-fashioned. God, Jesus imparted his holiness on us. Yes, he did. But he did that so that we could live a lifestyle that would line up with what he just gave us. It wasn't just that that's the end of it. We can go do what we want. This holiness was going to be life-changing, transforming. Edwards understood the smallness and frailty of men. He said that man must become small in his own eyes to be happy and useful to God. 
His relentless biblical logic corners his readers until they cry uncle, gladly embracing their sinfulness while increasingly exulting in God's goodness. See, there's a balance there. Your closeness, your nearness to God is measured in your humility. God is attracted to humility. You say you have hunger, your hunger is measured by the time you spend in the prayer closet. Why do we need a move of God? Because our problems are too big for us to change on our own. We are powerless to change things outside of God. And He alone is the solution to the problem. See, we see in Scripture there are a number of things that move God. God was moved in compassion in Matthew chapter 9.36. It says, But when He saw the multitude, He was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He is moved by his great love to supply our needs. Further, he is moved that he would go after the one sheep, and yet he is still still always constant over the flock of all of us. God is looking today for men and women who will be so God-conscious that no matter what happens... See, here's the thing... The enemy work, his work, his harassment, his affliction is the very thing that is drawing you to Christ. The path paved with the tears of perseverance is the road leading me to a closer walk with him. The very circumstances that you're in today may be God allowing it so it would drive you. It would draw you to the place. David understood it. He said in Psalm 63, 8, my soul clings to you. He understood that his adhesion to God had to be like glue, inseparable. Don't leave God alone. Prayer moves God's heart. He responds to prayer. God convicted me about praying, especially over meals. Because so many times, as a kid, we've learned, God is great, God is good. We just go through the motions. Almost like, and sometimes we do with other prayers, even prayers that Jesus gave. We go through them by rote. And I was praying one day for my meal, and I remember the Holy Spirit saying, are you really thankful for that? See, I had prayed this prayer because it was the thing to do. But God was saying, listen, why? Is this, is this really something you're thankful for? Are you thankful that your kids have a home over their head? Are you thankful that this food is before you? Because there's coming a day when it won't be so easy. The Bible talks about in the last days, a piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. We're, gonna, we're getting ready to come into days, I believe. We're already starting. It's starting to happen. You're going to see there's a shift. But you know what? That's just the enemy's plan. But God said, listen, you've, don't let the world be your sustenance. I am your sustenance. Don't worry about what goes on around you. Let me be your focal point. I'm telling you right now, if you're not rooted in prayer, when the sweeping of the, the enemy comes through, that, 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 that tidal wave that the enemy brings in, if you are not rooted in prayer you'll be swept away. Today it's popular to say all roads lead to God. I was thinking about this week, I was just watching the news and everybody's talking about Prince. He thanked God. He thanked God one time and he sang a couple songs about God and everybody's convinced, oh, he's, 
he was a good man, he was a Christian, and all these things. And listen, guys, simply saying God, thanking God, does not make you a Christian. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seemed right to a man, but the end there is of death. See, do we have any idea how rare it is that people make it to heaven? See, people are always declaring, Oh, rest in peace over those who have died. They're in a better place. They're not. They're in no pain. They are. The reason people say this is because they want to provide a false sense of hope to those who have as of rain. But you can see that Jesus understood this when he talked about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man and how he had just begged, just put a drop of water on my tongue. Do you understand how bad it is here? If I could just go back and tell my family how bad it is here. But see, we have this concept today. All roads lead to God. It doesn't matter how you get there. Buddha can bring you. You know, Muslim, they can bring, it can bring you. No, there is one way to Jesus. It is rare that people are going to heaven. It is a rare thing. It is not the, the mass. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. It is the default gate. The reason I have this discussion with you this morning is because I want you to understand the reality of hell. That we cannot be casual about our submission to God. That we cannot just, that we cannot just wait till the very end, repent and, and die and think everything's going to be okay. Simply mentioning God in passing, singing about Him, going to church does not make you a Christian. This relationship is founded and based in a deep longing for God. I cannot survive very long without Him. I am desperately lost outside of His wake. When I am without Him, I feel like I'm almost paddling like a little dog just trying to make it. I'm going upstream. I must have Him. My prayer life is an absolute, not negotiable. It is a must have. I can't spend time without him these foundations are a must especially if you've coming out of a dark past you will need to stretch further you will need to dig deeper you will have to contend harder the enemy wants you back in his camp if jesus prayed continually and he was the son of god how much more should we pray this is not optional it is mandatory it is an absolute now i know i'm getting you uncomfortable I'm sure there'll be less people here next week, but we want to make sure we don't get too crowded. There'll be parking stalls next week for you. So you won't have to fight, park, double park each other in. See, discipleship, discipline, and submission, these are the backbone of your Christian walk. These are the foundations of your deliverance. Deliverance is just this inception point, the entry point into freedom. We must steward this gift that God has given us as we walk in discipline and submission to those in authority over us. And prayer is the recalibration from the world's thinking. I love good worship. I... I, 
It cannot be a substitute for my prayer life, though. It cannot be a substitute for time alone with God. Worship music in its current state can be used as a lazy man's intercession. It's entertaining, it feels good, and it's spiritual. But it is by no means a default into spiritual maturity or true worship. Some of you are going to have to think on that one for a little bit. You'll probably have to get the tape. Worship is compared to incense in the Old Testament. A sweet aroma. A life in alignment with the Holy Spirit. Calibrated in sync with the Spirit of God. Walking in cadence with heaven. Exodus chapter 30, verse 37 and 38. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for your for you, for the holy God, the Lord, your Lord, whoever make, whoever makes anything like it as perfume shall be cut off from its people. This composition, this worship that God gave us is designated for him. It is not for you to wear. It is not for you to put on and make yourself feel good. Worship is for one person. It is for God. When they came into the holy place, that incense, he says, listen, do not make it for any other purpose. It has one purpose. It is set apart. See, that's what holy means. Set apart for God. That's what he's asking of us. Set yourselves apart. Without holiness, no one will see God, the Bible says. See, you can dance, shout, raise your hands, and blend in while enjoying truly anointed worship while not legitimately worshiping at all and not being even grieved over sin, your immaturity, or lack of radical commitment to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we spend a lot of time focusing on these people who put their hands up and dance and shout. But I want to tell you, on the other side, there are those who will expressively quiet themselves and live in piety, but they can be just as guilty because they don't express any passion for God. So I want to no, there are these on this side. Yes, there are, the, there are those you see it on TV at times. Those that are dancing and have no no idea what they're doing in the, in the presence of God. They just enjoy the presence of God, and I will understand it. You know what? Saul understood that. He loved David's music. When David would worship, it quieted the spirit in Saul. But Saul did not know who God was. You can come to church and enjoy the goosebumps. You can enjoy the the overwhelming feelings that come when you come into the presence of God. But that does not mean that you are saved. It does not mean that you have been convicted of sin. See, that's what these men of old understood. See, we have got a, a fan club of people who love worship today, but truly don't have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. We need people who are prayer-driven, broken and fervent prayer warriors. Today there is no sacrifice, no surrender, just a pursuit of personal, supernatural experience. And I want you to know that this kind of worship that I'm talking about, this kind of prayer I'm talking about, may not even mention, you might even mention yourself in the whole entire time. It is a prayer that is focused on God, to God. Everything is, is, is centered on Him. And in the midst of that, we begin to cry out for those that are lost. We begin to intercede for those who... We intercede for these young people. We intercede for Springville School. We intercede for for Springville City. We intercede for the churches. But rarely in my prayer life, other than my own sin and conviction and repentance, do I pray, oh Lord, give me something better, make my life better, do this. No! No! It's focused on Him. 
See, we've made incense to God and we're wearing it. But it was not intended for ourselves. Worship has come about us. I have become the focus of worship. Me. Songs about my struggles. But see, John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary was there and therefore, she says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance and perfume. See, true incense for God is for God alone, no one else. Yes, the fragrance fills the room. Yeah, you may get a goosebump. You will experience him. You will feel him, but you'll truly never know him. It was intended for him. Her worship was expressive in the face of the pious Pharisee who was indignant about what she was doing. Every part of her mind, body, and spirit was poured out for Jesus. If you have to have musical worship to feel close to God, it's an indicator that your prayer life is lacking. Prayer is the focal point in revival. Our focus is not on good worship. Our focal point is on Him. Praising and worshiping Him. Repentance for us, prayer for the lost. Repentance for me, prayer for the community. Repentance for me, prayer for the churches. Renewal. Awaken us, God. Revive us. Change us. See, we can say how much we love him, yet we leave him alone. He must be the centerpiece of our service. He must be the centerpiece of our lives. Not the greeting, not the announcements, not the music. We are not a social club. Don't leave God alone. Don't leave God alone. Don't leave God alone. See, May 5th, is a national day of prayer. We had to set aside a day so that we could actually pray. But it shouldn't be that way. It should be our lifestyle. It should be how we live. The first Tuesday of the month, this coming Tuesday, is fasting and prayer for our community, our churches, and the lost. But it should be such a lifestyle that we hadn't even have to be reminded of it. This morning, as we get ready to take communion, my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would show us. Close your eyes just for a moment, bow your heads. Lord, my prayer this morning is not that these words would entertain or God would be any kind of great oratory. But God, that they, when empowered by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit would make them so real this morning, that God, that we would not be able to walk out that door the same. We don't need more altar calls, Lord. We need altered lives. Lord, the prayer of revival is that you would come and sweep through this place. Not just this church, but every church in Springville. The town of Springville. The school of Springville. And then, Lord, to our county. To our nation. Lord, we cry out for you this morning. You are our only source. As we just, as I have the men come, I'd like you just to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a minute as the men come for communion. I'm going to ask you right now, the Bible talks about not taking the 
the body of Christ unworthily. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to show you, Lord, is there something in my life? Is there someone in my life? Is there unforgiveness in my life? Is there lack? Are you drawing me? Are you calling me to this place? Lord, that this morning, revive us. Revive us. Awaken us. Once again, to who you are. Lord, we thank you.
within Jesus is found everything we need. This cup of juice and this little piece of bread represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you need healing in your body, I'm just going to ask that you would ask the Lord right now. In the name of Jesus, by the blood, you said by your stripes we are healed. God, for some of us this morning, we need just exactly this, what this song says. More love, more power, more passion for you, God. Lord, let us be filled with you this morning. Let the Spirit of God awaken us, revive us. We thank you, Lord. Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. We thank you, God, for this body that was broken for our redemption. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Partake. Lord, you took the cup and you blessed it. Simplifying, Lord, that this would be the covenant between us and you. And Lord, that you said you would never drink it again until we drink it anew in the new kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us on Calvary, that saves us, that sanctifies us, that heals our bodies. Lord, that brings revival. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, let this blood symbolize today everything Lord that you are in our lives we thank you for it you may partake this morning as we leave my prayer is is that not that this would be an altar call type of message but that this would be one of those messages that you take home that you chew on it and And then the Holy Spirit just begins to stir it within you. You can't be the same. You can't be the same. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for your blessing of of fellowship. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would watch over, protect, seal this word within our hearts and our spirits this morning. God, let revival begin within us. Let revival begin at Pleasant Valley Chapel right here in the midst of what you want to do in this hour, in your name. Amen. You may be dismissed.